This is Raphael. I'm Lauren. We're the Pacheco siblings, and welcome to the Hypercube Podcast, a talk show in which two siblings converse about anything and everything. All right, at it again. Mm -hmm. Doing it one more time. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we touch on it a little bit um, on our previous recording, but uh, yeah, you are in a quite a different location, so we're I still am. getting used to the kinks of remote recording yeah. for this particular podcast. We've done a lot of remote recording before, of course, but just not for this for this format. Right. But yeah, yeah. You seem like you're having a good time, though. You seem really happy. I'm having a great time. I'm having a good old time. It is, it is nice out here. It is insanely beautiful when it's not raining. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're in winter right now. And I am not. Going into winter, yeah. Or in autumn, I think. Yeah. Well, I was just complaining after we finished our last recording. I was sweating like nobody's business. It's getting hot here. <laughs> it's getting hot. Uh, it's summertime. It's, it's getting so hot. And, um, and you're not. I'm not. I'm getting cold. <laughs> you're currently in very, you're getting cool weather. So, but I was, that's, that's what I was wondering. Though. I was like, because I, I, I referenced the fact that I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably, uh, make sure i can get more tan well now that i'm closer <laughs> to the sun yeah. Uh, yeah because i don't get out much so i you know i'm like my my brown potential is not completely fulfilled yeah but yeah you haven't lived up to your potential your melanin potential yeah yeah i'm relatively pale for for for, uh, for our family because i'm a pioneer of the indoors as it says on a lot of my social media bios <laughs> i do i do like that little phrase that you have on your your social media little bios yeah, I like that one. I thought it was quite original. Uh, I, I felt clever coming up with that one. I've always kind of kept it because I feel like it very succinctly describes it's very good. I like it. the diagnosis. <laughs> the yeah. diagnosis it's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm living an adventurous life in here. <laughs> so <laughs> Behind closed doors. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I do feel like I need to, I need to, you know, obviously, like if I just got out more or probably wore more short sleeve shirts, um, but like that's never really been a part of my thing. But even in my face, like I generally like are am not nearly as dark as my potential probably is. Right, right. I'm like I said, I'm relatively light skinned uh, for someone of our of our family. I think I got darker here a little bit. Do you think you did? Has well, Australia I, made you darker? No, I've just been going out more. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> well, you're always fairly dark, though, at least a lot by comparison. Yeah, even even inside. Yeah. Well, because you're always more of an outdoor kid anyway. Uh, at least compared comparatively comparatively you were you were doing you did sports and all that and i want to be more outdoors but anyway i was just making that comment about how yeah like i would like to <laughs> to uh try and work on that i'm like yeah hey, maybe i should do that now that i'm a little bit closer to the sun and then you're like well you are and so i'm like <laughs> yeah how does that work again how do the seasons work because it's like how, how does one side work? of the planet closer to the sun than the other because mm -hmm. i understand that the seasons are determined by your proximity to the sun yes. but different in different regions yes in different so hemispheres it's because the earth is on a tilt you know the earth's axis right yeah axial tilt yeah it is roughly 24 degrees that the earth is tilted on its axis so as it as it spins i think also because of like gyroscopic stuff um it maintains like its absolute position which means as it rotates around the sun its relative angle to the sun changes so if you look at it i'm making hand motions that you can't see <laughs> because it's it's yeah i'm sure you are it is a, it is a very visual uh thing like you, you, you can intuit it but if you see it it becomes a lot more obvious right right but there, there is an angle where the top half the, the top hemisphere of the sun is facing the 
sun. Or the, the top hemisphere of the sun. There is an angle where the top half of the earth, <laughs> the top hemisphere of the earth is facing the sun. And as the earth is uh, tilted in that, in that way, the top half is getting more light than the bottom half just because of its angle. And as it rotates, it just gets hotter. That, that's, that is all. That's why. It's just because it's facing the sun more. It's like a rotisserie. Basically. And then, <laughs> and then, so the earth faces the sun and the top half will get more light and more sunlight and will heat up because it's, it's just facing the sun more. One half of a year later, the side that was facing the sun is now facing away from the sun. So the side of the earth that was facing away from the sun before is now facing the sun because the sun is, if you think about it, is now behind the earth, right? Mm -hmm. And then that part heats up. So then the lower atmosphere and the upper and the upper hemisphere switch places exactly one half of the time. So it's not based on the Earth's proximity to the sun in its orbit, because I understand it does have mm -mm. an elliptical orbit, though, which means at some times it will be closer to the sun than at other times, which what, yes. what does that inform about us, our day? <laughs> that informs the length of the seasons. OK, so basically how long it takes for the sun because like when the earth gets closer to the sun it's moving faster and that goes further away from the sun it moves slower so that determines the length of the seasons so as it's getting closer it'll slingshot past faster and that season will be slower and then once it goes out further it'll slow down and move back around and then those seasons will be longer wait which seasons are the long seasons then i don't remember exactly which but i think for is it summer and winter i believe so i, I believe it works out that like our tilt and our axe in our wait no it has to be are roughly equivalent it has to be summer and winter so i think because that's when the equinox is wait no that's different that's day length yeah and day length isn't determined by either of those things not the axial tilt or the proximity to the sun <laughs> it is that it is determined by the axial tilt oh oh it is okay yeah oh now i'm even more confused well the axial tilt determines day length and that's why in summer the hottest day is the direct middle of summer because that's the point when the when your axis is pointed directly at the sun. <laughs> You're just staring right at it. <laughs> You're just staring right at it. And then uh, the and then the winter solstice is when you're the exact opposite is when the other hemisphere's axis is pointed directly at the sun. Mm. So you will you're lined up on both sides. And because of because of your tilt as the sun is as the earth is spinning, you're sp you spend more time in daylight because you're tilted towards the sun. Right. And that's why the closer you are to the poles, the more extreme the length of your days or nights are going to be. Exactly. <laughs> because you're like right there where it's yeah. pointing. Yeah. So there is a line or there is a boundary. I had, to, I had to do all this research for doing like celestial movements for, <laughs> for our D&D <laughs> campaign setting. Oh, yeah. And I ended up just like, I did a ton of research. I was like, how can I mess with these numbers and make it good? And I messed with it a little bit. And I came up with something good. I was like, okay, I like this. Ah, dang it, I just made Earth again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with a lot of world building is oftentimes you try to fudge around with physics, but, you know, it's really hard to, well, honestly, what it comes down to, it's, it's, it's really hard to, like, make more perfect what God made here on this Earth. <laughs> like, there yeah. are so many so, variables that just align to make Earth just ideal in a lot of ways to sustain life. So obviously we have the equator which is the center of our which is the center of the earth as it rotates right but then there's a different there's another not equator but there's, a, there's another line that's north and south of the equator which is where if you're if you go north you have the equator 
anywhere above that line is where the sun will be in view at least half of the year. And then there are like the further up you go, it goes more than 50%, right? So like um, if you're directly on this like this one particular uh, point, the sun is always in view because you can just see it. It's just always there. Oh, wow. And then or, or was it? Yeah, there's something along something along the lines of that is where the sun is just like once you pass that barrier, that's when you can start to see the sun for more than half of the year. Right. Wow. And and then you have instead of having like day night cycles, you have day night years. <laughs> yeah, day night like seasons. Half of the year is in sun, half of the year year is in night. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you get stuff like that that movie Insomnia. Um, yeah. The which good movie, Al Pacino. Yeah, I think of the the Christopher Nolan version. Yeah, of which apparently was a remake of an older film. Oh, I know. Um, but I yeah, the Christopher Nolan version is what I know. But yeah, like they mm-hmm. have that sort. That's of when you setting. showed me. I think. Yeah, we both saw that one. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, because Alaska's in that area. Yeah, yeah, I think that took place in Alaska, and it's just like this mm-hmm. weird quirk of the setting in that particular film. And yeah, I guess other films like I think 30 Days a Night is also about that. That makes sense. Um, except it, it's it's the 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 opposite problem. Whereas in Insomnia, he has too much daylight in 30 Days a Night. There's too much nighttime. Yeah, that's a vampire film, right? Yeah, that's a vampire film. I haven't seen it. Apparently, yeah. it's really good. That's what I hear. Or the apparently the original, the original apparently is really good. But yeah, ha- haven't seen it. Haven't seen any version of it, actually. <laughs> Oh, I just know it by its yeah reputation. Reputation. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there might be like a really solid winner in the original, and I'm like, ooh, Ooh. you know, I'm a sucker for winners. When was the original released? Uh, let me Google. So it was released in 2007. The original? Yeah, apparently. Wow. Well, so I I actually now now I'm not sure now. Yeah, pretty recent. Yeah, now I'm actually not sure if it was if it was a remake. I think I might be thinking of a different film, but apparently it was an adaptation but not a remake. It was a, uh, a comic book first. Oh, okay. So yeah, I guess uh, the, I, I think I knew there was some sort of, uh, I must have had in my head that there's some sort of source material, but yeah, I think mm-hmm. there was just the one film. Something came first. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Apparently Sam Raimi produced. Oh, but apparently it's decent. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. And I, I'm, I'm interested. I like the concept. <laughs> that is for sure. That's a great concept. That's a great concept. Ooh, it's Rotten Tomatoes ain't great, but apparently people love it. <laughs> is, is it one of those films that has like a, a critic and a... Yeah, the critic and the audience ratings. Community like, rating that... Ba- yeah, they vary wildly. Yeah, yeah, it's vastly different. But anyway, yeah, you should watch that at some point. Maybe, maybe. Okay, speaking of watching stuff, speaking of watching stuff, mm-hmm. I've got a rant. Have you seen... Oh. I know you haven't. Oh, no. But I just saw this again on our topics list, and I'm angry. <laughs> I got angry just looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, ha- have you seen about all the... They recently came out with the teasers. Uh, two teasers. Not one, but two teasers. Two teasers. For the Resident Evil Netflix <clears throat> series. No, I haven't seen it. But I heard you talking about it on the community Discord, uh, which you can find on our website. Yes. So there if you want to join us in topics like that. As well as the description of all our YouTube videos. So you have no excuse if you're watching YouTube videos and don't read and do stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So the Resident Evil Netflix series. So Okay, hit me, Raph. Where do I begin? Where do I begin? Well, first off, I know that that was, of course, a rhetorical question because I know you don't watch trailers. Do you think you will ever watch the trailers or teasers? uh, That's a kind of trailer. Do you think you'll ever (laughs) watch the the trailers for this? Or can I can I just talk about this openly here? You could talk about it openly, but I think at some point you're gonna have to show me. But I th- I feel like you have to 
like it's like one of those like 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 you have to guide me through like like hold my hand through and be like okay here's (laughs) here's what's happening okay okay it's okay it's gonna be okay so (laughs) oh my goodness so the first off I, I feel like the, the the comment first off the comment section is hilarious. That's the most entertaining part about it. Of course, <laughs> is but like there's it's a community, big community thing. Yeah, I mean, and there's this there's this recurring critique that I often see, which is just like this, this is what I've been saying, and just everybody's just realizing it because this is the second live action Resident Evil adaptation we've had in like the past couple of years. There's a lot of Resident Evil ad- adaptations that have been going on lately. Uh-huh. Uh, Capcom is just shilling the rights out for this wherever they can, I guess. I don't know why. Um, but Are they, they losing money? I don't think so. Cool. Like, Are you doing the Marvel thing back in the day? Well, Resident Evil is currently their most profitable franchise. Seven really revitalized the series. It was currently yeah. one of the most, if not the most, I can't remember if it overtook five as the most sold Resident Evil title and one of the most sold Capcom titles of all time. It's and then eight really capitalized on its success, right? Everybody was talking about Village when it came out, right? There was it was just a, a cultural moment. And not to mention the memes because of Lady Dimitrescu, but of course, yeah, they're, they know how to appeal to the fan base. Resident Evil is strong financially, mm-hmm. um, and but for some reason they're getting really loose with the license right now. Where they're just maybe they're just trying to capitalize on how strong it is. Yeah, maybe they're. So I think it's the case that they're getting greedy. Executives, yeah, and producers all of a sudden remembered that Resident Evil exists after yeah. the, its recent success and they're like oh yeah that's an ip and obviously didn't pay any attention to how the ip has been reinvented twice <laughs> and just like go back to raccoon city and umbrella every time they do one of these adaptations but they obviously didn't pay any attention to what its new face is and just thought we're just reminded that the ip exists and are like how much money for that since you're being successful again <laughs> that's probably where it began is they probably just started getting offers again i'm imagining yeah. like like the the name resident evil came across the desk and like huh remind me which one that is again right yeah that the city that's the one with the the zombies and the, the zombies in the city right yeah yeah well, okay, so okay, we're going way off the rails here. Uh, if that if that's where they started, <laughs> so first off, there's the the recent Resident Evil movie titled Resident Evil: Welcome to Raccoon City. I think was the uh-huh. title. Very clunky title. First off, but right. um, and that that looked. It didn't look great. Uh-huh. <laughs> I will say uh-huh. from the trailers, I, I I still haven't seen it. I still haven't seen it. I know people have. Apparently, it's not good. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently, it's uh, muy bad. Ooh. And, yeah, like... Muy bad. Even some people... Some people... Now, the, the, uh, again, I haven't seen it. I'm just going off of what the consensus is here. But I did see somebody in the Resident Evil Twitterverse post uh-huh. a picture of the poster of the original Resident Evil movie, the original Anderson Resident Evil movie, uh-huh. and said... We didn't know how well we had it. Oh, no. And I'm like, ooh, ooh. Oh, no. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's real that's, bad. That's, that's, that's a, that's a. That's a new low. I mean, I feel like I just witnessed a murder. <laughs> that's a new low. <laughs> like that. Yeah, that, so I'm like, ooh. But like, here's the thing, is that adaptation at least made an effort to be faithful to the video games. 
Uh-huh. Um, it, well, obviously, it takes place in Raccoon City. It has all of the cast members, all the uh-huh. characters from the games, right? It, yep. None of this, who is this Alice person who's stealing the thunder of beloved characters. So it at least has that going for it. And obviously, with its production design, it's being... It's making a huge effort to be faithful to the look of the characters, even if they made some casting decisions where it's just like, Ooh. but I mean, they, they they diversified, I guess, the cast a little bit more ethnically. I think that was a very deliberate decision, but oh, it really fine. even if you're going to do that, like I feel like there's still decisions you can make that can make the characters more match what the character traits, well, well, you know, that's the like thing. what the non-ethnic character traits of the characters are like, that's the thing like these the characters. A character's cultural background can vary wildly, but their personality can fit within that cultural background in any way, right? Like, that, that is how you do diverse characters. So, like, if you look at... Because I don't know what they did. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, like, I'm just going off of complete generalizations here. If, you, if you're going to port a character... Yeah, yeah, you're talking about this in the abstract. Yeah, in the complete abstract. If you talk about a character, porting him uh, into a new reboot, remake, whatever you... Whatever, what have you. Whatever the producers decide is best for, the, <laughs> for this quarter... <laughs> And you're like, okay, we need to diversify the cast and we need to make sure that it's like, you know, diverse enough or whatever, right? You need to, you need to boil down the characters to their absolute base minimum, like recognizable personality traits. Like this person is a biker. So, okay, so we can take a biker and we can turn a biker from this culture and transfer them into a biker from another culture because bikers look different from different cultures, right? There are different kinds of bikers. There are different kinds of people who approach the culture of motorcycles. And yeah, you take that same character, and mm-hmm. it's ex- it's the exact same character personality profile, but like adjusted to be culturally appropriate for whatever culture you want. You want that character to then yeah be in yeah totally. And, like, th- and, that, and that's just like yeah, you just you take those those defining characteristics and just find their equivalent in other cultures. Oh yeah, I feel like you thought about this a bit more than some of these producers have, but <laughs> <laughs> to extrapolate and expand on that a bit. Yeah, I think that's the thing is you need to boil them down to their essence and realize what their defining characteristics are. And I think there's a couple of things that are really important, which is like, yeah, find out what those essential characteristics are. And also, I think for franchises like Resident Evil, where the image of the characters is so right. iconic. That's true. Like character, the character design. Yeah, the design. They need to have the right silhouette. Yeah. I think that's ultimately one of the big parts is the silhouette is you have to make sure that when that person is standing and posing as that character you could completely blank it out that is yeah and you can recognize who that character is right just cover them with complete matte black and it'll be like i know who I'm, i that's claire redfield yeah you know what i mean that's actually a really just know at a glance just looking at the silhouette that's a really important exercise that you do in character design and character creation is silhouettes and being able to just say what like if you have a character's, you know, devoid of all details, a character silhouette, what are the things that you can look at that stand out, right? Like big hands, big feet, their stance, their posture, big weapon, right? That's a really easy one that anime likes to take into um, far extremes. It's like <laughs> you, can def- you can clearly see which one is which by the shape, size, and depth of their weapon. It's like, yeah, you got the, the, the big, thick weapon on, this, on the shoulder. That's Cloud. The long, thin katana. That's Virgil. Sephiroth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or Virgil. Or all of them, right? Like, like, like you can have those. You, have, you take their characteristic, boil it down to a nice clean outline. Stature. Posture. Stance. Proportions. Personality. Personality, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the, there's the a attitude, lot of personality attitude. that reads. In Are they dynamic? Are they static? Mm-hmm. Are they laid back? Are they more 
so on and so forth. You got to be able to recognize that character and say like, ooh, that is a very confident, powerful character. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So welcome to Raccoon City. That movie has come out. I still haven't seen it yet. I might at some point just for completion's sake and just to see how bad it could possibly be. Mm. I will say somehow I, I managed to be very unimpressed with the visual effects, even in just the uh-huh. trailer. Very unimpressed. Which usually isn't a good sign for VFX heavy pieces. And some of the production design decisions definitely made me kind of look. Mm, but why does Resident Evil need to be VFX heavy? I don't know. That's what I'm starting to wonder, too. Like George Romero had a great script for <laughs> Resident Evil film that could be done on a fairly minimal budget because it was basically just the original video game. Yeah, because the original video game was a basically not a parody, but, you know, it was a tribute to basically low budget horror movies. Yeah. So I don't know why. I don't know why, Lauren. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I don't understand on making Resident Evil a blockbuster. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand what's going on anymore. <laughs> i can't i can't answer your question but <laughs> like i understand <laughs> if they're trying to make resident evil 5 exactly right that's a blockbuster that's a blockbuster game that is just like that, oh you yeah you need a spectacle the giant ogres and that like the helicopter yeah it, th- that's a save the world like action adventure right yeah <laughs> like literally one of your objective markers is just save the world <laughs> right but then like you go back to raccoon city it's it's just dudes with makeup yeah it's just zombies. Uh, it's the whole. It's the whole thing. It's just everyday people. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't get it. Um, well, you got stuff yeah. like the liquors and stuff, right? There, you got certain monsters, iconic monsters that. I, 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 that's a bit special, yeah. Like, oh, the hunters and yeah. But still, you can do. You can do that with costume. You could, yeah, if you really wanted to. If you're yeah. Jim Henson, maybe. Um, <laughs> so that movie comes out. Apparently, not that great. Like I said, I'm. I might see it, and at least made it an attempt at being faithful to the original source material. All right, so Resident Evil, this Resident Evil Netflix series. What I was going to say was uh, the critique that came up in the comment section uh-huh, uh-huh. that I've been saying for a while. I don't think I ever finished that that clause. Um, All right. <laughs> that, I, that I've been saying is, like, this can't be hard, right? <laughs> Making a good Resident <laughs> Evil adaptation, sh- like, should not be difficult. Like, this isn't rocket science. And yet this is the third iteration of a... Li- it's zombie films. Yeah, it's the third iteration of a live-action Resident Evil attempt. And, like, nobody, somehow nobody is getting it right. Like, the three different attempts, three different studios, three different creative teams. Nobody seems to have even the remotest... That's not, I don't know if that's a, a term, but it is now the most remote <laughs> clue about what Resident Evil is and what its appeal is and what makes it great. Like, I have no idea what you guys are adapting. And like, <laughs> it's not Resident the, Evil, though. The thing is, like, like, of all genres, you would think zombie films would be the most like practiced and perfected by now, right? You literally just have to make a bog standard zombie film, name the city Raccoon City, and name the main characters Claire and and Leon, and you have a Resident Evil movie. In essence, yeah, I think there's a little bit more to it than that. But if you did that, you would do better than these other things. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like all of the elements are there. Like we've done this before. Right. (laughs) Like. There, yeah, obviously there's some there's some stank on that pitch, but like still, like you don't have to do much to make a good zombie film. You don't have to do much to make a good Resident Evil film. You just don't, like Resident Evil 
It's easy. It's easy. It should be easy. Well, and its appeal is very straightforward, right? It's character-based. People yeah. love the cast of characters. These characters are iconic. And it's lore-based. It has expansive world-building. It's got corporation megastructure with certain characters that are associated with it. It's got government and political facets. It's got all these things going on in the background that you could tie into. There's, And that's that's pretty much it. Like, if you just have those two elements, if you could do the characters justice and do the lore justice, the world building, then you're pretty much set. You could set it anywhere and do anything and yeah. it'll be fine. And it's specific style of like atmospheric horror and things of that nature. So quick note, welcome to Raccoon City, right? The 2021 live action film. Mm-hmm. First off, random note. Do you notice how that was the title of the first episode of Resident Roleplay? as well so i was gonna say i was really confused when somebody in our community discord was like i'm gonna go watch resident evil welcome to raccoon city and i was just like like the first episode of resident roleplay what's going on here yeah i was like are they talking about us i'm pretty sure you've already seen it <laughs> yeah it's like like what do you mean you're gonna go out like i think i think they're like uh talking about like going out on a date and going and watching that i was like you're taking a date to watch our content what's going on <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i'm not saying i'm not saying they stole it of course that's a very generic title <laughs> Well, it is also the name, like, obviously the reason it's named that is because that's what it's, that's what's on the sign. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the iconic sign. Yeah. But, like, not saying they stole it. But you're saying they stole it. But just saying, <laughs> we came out, we came out in 2017 with that episode. They came out mm-hmm. in 2021 is what I'm saying, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> There's a discrepancy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that is, that just so happens to be the most viewed episode of Resident Roleplay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, but with that film... Like I said, they made an attempt at doing something faithful, even if it was, I think part of its problem also, I'm going to guess, is that it's a bit of a mess. Like, there's a lot going on, you can tell just from the trailer. So I'm going to guess that that doesn't work in its favor. Did they tried to do everything? Yeah, they tried to do everything, because they tried Ooh, to adapt okay, to Resident yeah. Evil 1 and 2 at the same time. So already, you've, you're probably running into some creative issues there, because that's yeah. way too much narrative material to pack into one film. Which one was 1 and 2? 1 was the Arclay Mansion. Uh-huh. Two was Raccoon City with Leon. And two was the the city aftermath. No, city. Yep, Raccoon City with Leon and Claire. Yeah. Three is Raccoon City with Jill. Um, okay. But they tried to do one and two at the same time in the same film. And I'm like, that's a lot of content to try and pack in there. I don't know if you're going to have room for that. Judging by the reception, I don't imagine they did. Yeah. That seems like a hard act to juggle. But honestly, I want, I want to see. Okay, continue with this. I want to pitch what I want to see in a Resident Evil film. Okay, yeah. As somebody who is only, like, who is the sibling of somebody who is a super Resident Evil fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to hear your pitch after. All right, but let me finish my statement. Yeah, here. yeah. I'm not done with my rant. I keep beginning my rant, and then you keep stopping me. Right. <laughs> so, like I said, at least made an attempt at adapting the source material. The only problem was that it was a bad movie. <laughs> that was the only problem was that it was a bad movie. yeah. Yeah, the only thing they did wrong was so that the production they, sucked. Yeah, I think it, it. I think it just wasn't produced properly, or you know, uh, production and creative wise. I think mm-hmm. there were some issues with that one. But the only problem was that it was a bad movie. So then you got this Resident Evil Netflix show, which is simply titled Resident Evil. Okay, and I think I've seen that. I started the first teaser. I'm like, ooh, this looks promising. Why? Because this one looks like 
it has production value. I'm like, first uh-huh. thing that hits me is production value. I'm like, these cameras look better. This production design looks better. Right, right, the CGI right. looks leagues better than the last what, live action movie. I'm like, that okay. Because that's what was wrong with the last one. Right, yeah. So I was like, wow, this looks well-produced. This is this is hooking me in. Okay, you have my attention. I want to see a well-produced Resident Evil live action. So, all right, I'm in. Then it starts going off the rails. <laughs> oh, no. So, first off, did they jump the shark? They, they might have. Well, I think it's, it's contemporary, first of all. I think they give a date at some point. They give several dates. We'll get to that in a moment. But the first date they give is like 2022 or something like that, something that's supposed to be contemporary. I don't remember if it was 2020 or 2022, mm-hmm. but seeing as they're supposed to be contemporary, I'm assuming it's 2022. It's like, all right, what year is it? 2022. I'm like, okay, that's a bold creative decision for Resident right. Evil, right? We're not, going, we're not going back to 1998 at least, I guess. So they're yeah. at least moving forward. But nope. The games aren't even caught up to there yet, right? Uh, Resident Evil Village would be sort of 2021-ish timeline. Uh-huh. So or 2020, 2021-ish, but I'm a bit fuzzy on that one. I'm not entirely sure, but typically the games are a bit contemporaneous with the time period in which they were released, at least the more recent games. So, however, I'm like, okay, that's a bit of a bold decision, but at least I guess we're moving forward. We're not necessarily trying to rehash the old Raccoon City thing that all the adaptations have tried to do. Right, fine. But then I was wrong oh, because oh no. it was like, what's the year? 2022. What's the place? New Raccoon City. What? I'm like, first New off, why would, anybody, why would anybody live there? Why, why would you do that? Earth? Yeah, like, yeah, completely in the Who would move? Who? Why would you? Who would move to a suburb in a place called New Raccoon City? Yeah. Don't worry, guys. Nobody. It's okay. You don't have to worry about any corporations going in. We, we don't have any mega corporations going on no yeah, well get this though it's like so you got the umbrella corporation it's still there all right they're still running with the umbrella corporation it's still the, is it still the, the, center, the center why would you let it back in the center of the city is like in the shape of the umbrella logo it's what uh, <laughs> what so then they're like okay then we're like what? looking into like very <laughs> so they start they're showing us footage of like it's clearly i think they're leaning a bit more in a satire direction i think it's trying to be kind of edgy and modern and uh in that sort of way and they're like cutting to boardroom meetings of the pharmaceutical company that is the umbrella corp and you've got albert wesker apparently um played okay. by lance reddick don't know who that is which casting decision i never saw coming um that's he plays the concierge in john wick oh um yeah okay. yeah deep voice hmm. uh dude yeah yeah he he's playing albert wesker so he's like pitching the board i don't hate it it's really out of left field though <laughs> it uh, is but like i don't hate it yeah i i mean but i might hate this adaptation <laughs> so don't hold i know breath. i know the so he's he's pitching the board on like uh you know this new drug they go into a bit more in the the teaser and all that and it's like ah but it's t-virus of course so now uh t-virus starts spreading it's new raccoon city because it's new and so then it like smash cuts to like 2035 or something ridiculous and it's like oh it's it's now it's now the not too distant future and what is it what is it guess what it's post-apocalyptic again just like what paul ws anderson tried to do it's like why 
When has Resident Evil ever been post-apocalyptic before Anderson? What? It's never been done. It's not part of the appeal. The appeal is about- It's apocalyptic. Yeah, it's like- Like, no, no, no post. It is just apocalyptic. And then well, it's- It's also about though, it is- <laughs> It's wartime. Yeah, if, it, if, if you would consider Raccoon City apocalyptic, then it is post-apocalyptic because it is more so about what happens in a world after that has happened, right? Yeah. But the problem is, it, it's what happened not, in a world after that happened and we survived. Like, we succeeded in containing it. Yeah, it's not like Mad Max apocalyptic. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's more so about the politics and the military intervention and how the world adapts to living in a world where things like bioweapons exist and are regularly deployed. So, yeah, that's, that's what Resident Evil is about. But they're like, nope, post-apocalyptic you know big blockbuster fest i mean the, the again production wise it's, it looks really great i uh, production wise i think resident evil has never looked better. okay that's i'll say that it looks better than even the anderson movies good it's got those look those look pretty good yeah, well the, the early the visual ones effects look solid yeah in the second teaser they showed some uh some liquors we got to see some liquors because obviously that's an iconic monster of course and i'm like wow those those liquors actually look decent those i recognize them as liquors they, they you got good photo reel cgi rendering i'm like okay that looks that looks all right production wise uh -huh. it looks decent it's well cut it's well color graded the cameras are great you got great cine cameras the makeup and production design even on the practical zombies it just it's that's that's all solid craftsmanship mm -hmm. but i just have no idea why you people <laughs> you, colloquial you people, you people want to turn resident evil into something post-apocalyptic because that's not what it is and that's yeah. never been what it is and that's the that's the issue it's not like grime and grime and rust post-apocalyptic yeah. that's not this that's not the same feel like it is post-apocalyptic has more than one look oh yeah and they're going they're going out into a desert and everything like it's why? very clear why that it's a, it's a suburb in the in middle of america it's very clear that they're taking heavy influence from the Anderson films. And it feels like as I've, I posted this in our community discord, but I'll say it again. It feels a lot more like it's trying to adapt the Anderson films right. into a yeah. series yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than trying to adapt the video games and the source material. Uh, it, it really just feels like it's using the Anderson films as its source material because even in the way it shoots That's like the gross. Yeah. So, cause it's, you got these dual timeline things going on. It's like where it began in 2022 with umbrella and new raccoon city and where it goes in the post-apocalyptic future. Like it feels like it's got this parallel timeline thing going on where they're telling two different kinds of stories. And it feels like even with the corporate stuff, it, and the way they shoot it, the way like the environment kind of looks and the laboratory sort of aesthetic, it just really feels very akin to even how Anderson portrayed that stuff. So it just all just feels like, yeah, just a just a series length, you know, a long form adaptation of the Anderson verse is what it feels more like to me. Mm -hmm. And that is not a vibe I wanted to receive. Um, and obviously, with the exception of, of Lance Reddick as Albert Wesker. Right. The rest of the cast is entirely original, right? So no no none of the rest of the iconic characters. Wait, wait, wait. Wesker's uh, the only just, like Resident Evil character in the film? In the series, yeah. Or in in the Netflix series? Yep. As far as we know so far. Unless there's some that's going to be revealed secretly. It's probably going to be like cameos or whatever. Yeah, it's going to be like, "Hey, yo, 
I'm a survivor. I, I don't. Is it a cameo if it's a fictional character? That's like I don't know. It's a reference, I guess. Easter egg reference. We'll be like, hey, yo, I'm a survivor named Chris. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm dead now because you're mm-hmm. the main character. <laughs> nah, you pulled my heart out or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I don't know what's going on, man. And it's it. It looks. Like I said, and in the trailers, the problem is, like I said, it's well produced. The trailer is decently cut, even. I would give it that. If it if it wasn't Resident Evil, maybe it might have some appeal to me, which is such a weird thing to have to say. So do you think... Because that's the only reason I would even be coming to it. But it's, it's, just, it's just not... It's just not what we want. So do you think it's going to be good? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it... it uh, honestly, the, the the worst thing I could say about it is that I honestly don't care. <laughs> I don't care at this point if it's going to be good or bad. It might be just because, like I said, it's decently produced. So yeah. maybe they had decent writers. Hopefully. But the problem is those decent writers have clearly never played a Resident Evil video game before. Right. So I'm not really hugely invested in whether or not it's good anymore because of that. Right. I just... I just want to see a good Resident Evil adaptation, man. I just want to see something like the animated films in live action. Just do something like that. I, yeah, they just, who they keep licensing it out to people who are dropping the ball for live action. And mm-hmm. like we have, like the fandom has to keep screaming, this isn't rocket science it's not it should not be a difficult thing to do a good resident evil adaptation but we've said this about a number of things you and i a bunch of stuff there are a number of things that hollywood has and like and just the industry in general not just hollywood because not just films now we're expanding into shows but there's a lot of things that the industry has had trouble adapting repeatedly that should not be difficult fantastic four should not be difficult it's super resident evil should not be difficult Doom should not be difficult for crying out loud. It's Doom. Doom should Doom is so easy. Yeah. It's so easy. Doom and Dr. Doom. But like it's simply because yeah, both Dooms should not be difficult. Both Dooms are are very easy. But it's it's simply because the I think the only reason is because the people who are in charge of making these decisions don't understand like how people work. It's just I think it yeah. just boils down to that. Like they 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 see a community and just like Oh, I don't get it. Yeah, but it's, I don't get it, but it's popular is what they see, right? They, yeah, I don't get it. It's popular. It must be monetizable. So how do I do that? Yeah, it's popular. It's making money. Economically feasible. Economically feasible. So a sound investment. A sound, exactly. A sound investment. Oh, gosh. I hate hearing that when you're talking about a medium for creating stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. These, these, these shouldn't be. Well, here's the thing. Would you say then... Because Marvel Studios is famously enjoying massive amounts of success right now. Right. And whether or not you like, we've talked about this, I think, before on the podcast, whether or not you think it's earned, or rather, whether or not you like them, it is earned. Yes. Right. Right. They, they did the, played their cards they the right. They moved one step at a time. They put in the, the work. If you look at where it began and where it is now, it's hard to say it wasn't earned. Right. That being said, would you say that their advantage then was that the producers, namely Kevin Feige, who's been executive producing the entire mm-hmm. MCU, the producers, though, of Marvel Studios have a better understanding of people no. than the producers of stuff like Resident Evil. No. Because they have massively capitalized on the 
emotional capital that they have they have under their properties and here's why and here's why i think a lot of the projects that failed failed in the way that they did not failed per se but like couldn't like they weren't as good as they could have been um and here's why i think kevin feige i don't think kevin feige understands people any better than any other corporate executive i think he's just as sociopathic and psychopathic as anybody else (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i never met the man but he's in a position that he's in, right? So here's right. what I think. The reason they were so successful is because they knew that they could not themselves understand the community as, as good as somebody from the community. So they got somebody from the community to do it for them. You're talking about John Favreau? Yeah, I'm talking about John Favreau. They took John Favreau, <laughs> pulled him in, and are just like, do your thing. And he made a movie. And he made it good because he understood what the draw was. He understood what people wanted to see in an Iron Man film. He knew Iron Man, the character. And he made it. And when he made it, he was able to, to do stuff that a corporate executive just wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to grasp from, you know, the penthouse floor of the, the corporate office. Sure. Yeah. Well, and he, he, he didn't write uh, the first Iron Man either, though. But yeah, he, I, I get what you mean. But he was able to do stuff creatively, right? Right. Yeah, he was able to do stuff creatively, and no doubt they hired the writing team that was able to right. do the same, because it's full of all that homage. Because I don't, what I don't think happened was Kevin Feige came down and said, here's the movie you're going to make. He said, I want an Iron Man movie. Make it. Well, I suppose in that case, perhaps I asked the wrong question, because I don't, my question wasn't whether or not you thought the individual producers had a better understanding of human nature than the producers on these less successful adaptations, but rather if if they did successfully capitalize on human nature. <laughs> yes. I, well, in that case, they did. Because I'm arguing that what they did was leverage somebody who did understand and was able to... Yeah. And was able to leverage the emotional weight of those characters and all the history that comes with it. Yeah. Well, and understand the inherent appeal that they had. Yeah. Which is, again, what I'm saying they're failing to do with Resident Evil. They're failing to recognize its inherent appeal. And I think the MCU from the get-go understood the inherent appeal of what it was building up to or at least as soon as they conceived the idea of it being a shared universe right yeah. as soon as it became obvious that that was the direction it could go they capitalized on that appeal hard right like i will never forget seeing the first avengers film oh in theaters gosh. for the first time it's just a it's just a complete fanboy moment yeah when you see these characters that they've been that you've seen in all these separate films come together for the first time and not only meet but exceed your expectations about what is possible when they when they meet in terms of the dialogue in terms of the action in terms of the all of the dynamics of their interaction it's it's just perfect right it's perfect adaptation and it's everything that you want it to be it was like watching a comic book come to life which is exactly what it needed to be yeah and so in that sense yeah they were successful at capitalizing on that it's basically where you're ascribing credit is basically i guess where the where the questioning failed but yeah that's true yeah the point is there is credit due there though yes that the reason the mcu found its its success was that it was successfully it was adequately able to to leverage yeah the emotional weight that we as audiences have for the properties the emotional connection and yeah the emotional connection they knew that they knew how to use that emotional connection yeah and that is where I think these other adaptations fail. It's all cash. I think that's where Fox failed multiple times with Fantastic Four. Yeah. I think that's where 
although, you know, failed apparently much worse the second time around, that's where that's especially where they're failing where, with these Resident Evil adaptations that they keep. Trying. Yeah, they are just not they have there has not been a single live action Resident Evil and seems there won't be for some time now uh, live action Resident Evil that capitalizes on what I as a diehard fan of the franchise love about the yeah. franchise like it just because it doesn't feel like resident evil you watch a marvel film and it feels like the comics it feels like yeah all of the things that you've seen these characters in before it all seems connected because because of that that understanding right these new resident evils or just any of the resident evil live action adaptations they don't feel like resident evil because they don't understand and like what you're talking about they don't have that connection it's just a cash grab they're cashing in on an intellectual property not a community yeah yeah which is sad because we're just sad <laughs> yeah every, everybody's just sad i feel like uh, nobody else will so i'm just gonna apologize <laughs> <laughs> we deserve better <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry us <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's just Anyway, what's your what's your pitch though? Okay. Before we wind down, I want to hear your pitch as somebody who's not as big of a Resident Evil fan, but knows knows me. Yeah, what is your pitch for how to adapt Resident Evil successfully into live action? Hit me. Yes. So an original Resident Evil film, right? Because obviously, I I don't want to adapt a straight up narrative from the the games because I don't want to do. I would love to see uh, the Arclay Mansion in live action. That would be amazing. Something like. Uh, what was it? Is it Resident Evil One, um, or in um, Lost in Nightmares, something like that? The, a live action, in, a live action Arclay yeah. Mansion would be fantastic. However, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to do that. I should say, I would love to see it. I don't want to do that. So, yeah. a film that I would want to do, if I were to do a, a Resident Evil thing with the Lawrence spin, yeah. What would you, what was your what would your Resident Evil movie be? So, uh, what I would like to do is bioweapons as allegory for nuclear weapons right so basically have a film that is closer to revelations where it's this isolated incident that if it got that if it continued would basically spell the end of humanity or whatever right like this huge biological incident that that was stopped by a select group of people a small group of uh, people right where you have kind of this this who's who of the of um, Resident Evil names, right? Just the characters stopping this one incident that could spell the end of the world. Something along the lines of the, uh, what was that? What was that? The the Cold War um, Cuban Missile Crisis. Combining the Cuban Missile Crisis with Resident Evil Revelations, where there is a ship chock full of bioweapons headed for I don't know, getting within like missile range of the u.s shores or something like that right so they send out a team to go investigate and then resident evil ensues mm. but as allegory for mutually assured destruction type of stuff i see i see that's not a bad story but what about the style like oh what, what are you thinking your approach would be from that point onward would it just go into like when they arrive like atmospheric horror mode would it be yeah, kind well, of that kind of like resident evil revelations where you get on board and you don't know what's happening right so all you know is that this right. ship has biological capabilities but you don't know what you're going into like you don't know who's in charge so it's like and then with, with in standard resident evil fashion there's going to be some twists right obviously like maybe the ship was hijacked obviously there's going to be a leaked bioweapon 
Like literally there was like a gas leak and people got bioweaponed. So you can have that element there, right? But I would like to have that that mysterious kind of claustrophobic on a ship feel where they're going through tight corridors and they don't know what's going on and they don't know what they're looking for. Because what the the mm-hmm. intel that they were given getting into the ship, right? Like there's like, you know, they're going in enemy ship, chock full of bioweapon potential coming within uh, like about to come within range of firing on some american cities so like we can't have that happen we need to stop it send out a team intercept it they get on board and everything's different it wasn't what they expected they need to figure out what's going on okay yeah yeah i like that so that sort of mystery mystery and discovery kind of approach to the storytelling yeah very claustrophobic yeah but claustrophobic and all the way i and i do and like that the theme that they had in revelations where it, like there's a lot of underwater obviously a lot of underwater creatures but just like literally going through water and having like sections be submerged that is a, i think that's a pretty good way to have that tension kind of build is that maybe like the ship is capsizing or something like that and like the level is right. the water levels are rising and with that the creatures that were turned they have more and more access to the team that is investigating. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a decent pitch. And of course, all the while featuring iconic Resident Evil characters. The whole yeah, the, the whole team that goes that yeah, the crack team that goes in is obviously gonna be led by Chris and pull <laughs> in just people who yeah, just pull in some pull in some classic names, right? Just take take your favorite right. characters, chuck them in that team and say the government tells you you gotta go to work. <laughs> who are you casting as Chris Redfield? Oh shoot. Uh <laughs> casting as Chris Redfield. Oh, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I, I'm thinking of a face. Who is that? It's like, oh, obviously it's Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. I feel like Extraction really sold yeah, me on a, exactly. a, what a live action Chris Redfield should look and move like. And plus, he just has a good look for it. Like he's he, got the uh, right he, body type. He has the right hair. He's got the it's r- mostly the right hair. He has the right hair. Yeah, he's definitely got the right hair. He's got. Yeah, he's his face shape is the face same. is kind of arbitrary. Yeah, generally the same, but Chris's face has changed over the years, so it doesn't matter too much. That's true. He's always kind of had that square face. He, he has always had a bit of a square face. But yeah, for sure, Chris Hemsworth has become an ideal Chris Redfield, yeah. interestingly. I would, I would it'll, take... It'll be easy to direct him because his name is Chris. So, Obviously. you know, people hey, Chris. say Chris and he's just like, oh, oh. Well, am, I, am I in character I'm right here. now? What's going on? But for sure, yeah. What, well, then what's, what should the team be made up of? Because I think obviously Chris is the, 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 the best in lore to lead this kind of a team, right? Well, where you have Chris leading a team, it's probably BSAA. Yeah. So I think you should have Chris and Jill. Chris and um, Jill. Well, I, well, I think Leon can be there as, I think, in this timeline. He I think Leon with the Secret Service, whatever that group is. With the with the president, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking he's present in a in a supporting well, role, exactly, not in a hands on role. Well, he's an I think what he's he's there to keep the president in the loop. So you have a you have the militarized faction on scene to do work, and Leon is there to support. Obviously, he can still do things, but he's basically there as a liaison. He, he's right? not. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I feel like that's yeah, that's the sort of cast you need. I feel like those are really the most of the main cast that we can justify yeah. being there. Oh, and then <laughs> um, well, obviously, and then you can introduce, cause every game has got to do this. You got to introduce the supporting cast that will eventually become iconic characters in and of themselves. Right. You have the people who are coming right. in second and completely just a chock full of lovable characters. There's like the BSAA group that he's going in with have to be like big and boisterous and full of personality and character only so they can get killed off, which is kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need expendable crew members yeah but 
But they all have you should characters. also have you should also have Barry Burton there just to be Barry Burton. Oh no 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 no! And then worry that he's gonna die like every other scene, and but he never dies. <laughs> it's like ah oh, no, not Barry. But then it's like ah oh, he's fine. He'll just yeah. crack a joke and die, uh, talk about it afterwards and be like oh wow you were almost a Jill sandwich. <laughs> oh man, I was almost a Jill sandwich. Good thing I've got this. <laughs> this that's the, his whole, the whole role. The whole movie is just that. <laughs> yeah. Just that, like, literally just there as fan service, just to right. be Barry Burton for, like, two hours straight. But, like, in the like in the climax, like, he goes super serious for, like, a hot second. It's just like, like, oh, like, oh no, like, it's, it's yeah. a suicide mission. It's like, don't worry. I got this. <laughs> I have this. Well, what's going to happen is you have your darkest hour beat. Yeah. Right? Where Chris and Jill are, they get, they get got. So yeah. they've been captured by like the queen or whatever to yeah, yeah, use yeah. an alien's analogy. Right. <laughs> so somebody has to go in solo to try and rescue the protagonist. Yeah. Who can do that? But Barry with all of his guns. So he's going <laughs> to like collect the remaining arsenal and be like, strap them together with duct tape. It's okay. I'm in the NRA. <laughs> like canonically, he is in the NRA. And so he's just going to go commando and we get to see him go full bore for the first time. And it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Honestly, though, with you giving this pitch, I, I, I hadn't, I mean, I have thought, obviously, a lot about how I would adapt Resident Evil for live action. Right. Uh, for a variety of mediums, but also live action. Of course. And, and before you gave this, like, very concrete pitch, I realized, yeah, I never really settled on a very concrete pitch for what mm, I would do. With you don't it, have one. If I was given the opportunity to write it. And now I feel like I'm kind of formulating one. I feel okay. like, I mean, I've thought about it, but I haven't settled on a something. Mm. And I feel like I have. Do you want to brainstorm? Yeah, I'll, let me brainstorm right now. Let me make this really quick because we okay. need to wind down. But yeah. I want to deal not with, I'm going to make it more concrete at least than I've had it, but I'm still going to deal rather abstract with more so principles of what I right. want out of an adaptation. And then we'll go from there. I think what it needs to be, first off, again, I, I would like a faithful adaptation of Resident Evil where they do a direct storyline from the games. Okay. That being said, if I were to do it, I, I think I agree with you. I don't know if that's what I would do. Yeah. I would, I think an original storyline would be a better way to go, featuring iconic elements and characters and monsters. You yes. draw it in with that so that there's familiarity there for your target audience, for the, for the people who play the games. Mm -hmm. And so that there's familiarity there to ground you in like, okay, yeah, this is Resident Evil. I can tell because everything that's Resident Evil is there, but the, right. just the setting and the storyline is new. That being said, the setting and the storyline should be a spiritual adaptation of one of the mm. games. And specifically, if you're starting, if it's a reboot, right? If you're starting from right. the ground up, you need to go back to the beginning. So it should be a spiritual adaptation of the Arclay Mansion. Not the Arclay Mansion itself, but a spiritual uh -huh. adaptation of it. So it, what, what does that mean? What are the elements? Same design, same principles. Uh, yeah, not so necessarily same design, but same, yeah, same principles. Well, I guess same design principles in that sense. Yeah. Where <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not the, but, but when you say not design, what came to my mind is like the visual design, which the Spencer yeah, yeah, yeah. mansion, the Arclay mansion has a very iconic visual design. We don't need to rip that off. Yeah. Not, not, you don't need a mansion, but, but it has to, but the same design as in going into a mansion that is basically a haunted area, right? Like, uh, yeah. there is, there's an, there, it doesn't have to be a mansion. It could be anything, um, any building that they go into that is for lack of a better term, haunted but not supernaturally technologically exactly and biologically yeah biologically. And see well and that this is what they did with resident evil 7 that's what made resident evil 7 such a good fresh start is that 
it was a spiritual successor to the yeah. Arclay Mansion, right? When you look, when you really look at the story of Resident Evil Seven, it in effect is a, a retelling of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a it's a haunted house, but just changing the setting to the American South, yeah, instead of That's the American brilliant. Midwest, and making it uh, a little bit less pharmaceutical, less corporate in the nature of its social commentary, mm-hmm. and more, I guess, more so in line with what the newer Resident Evil lore is, which is like terrorism and yeah. the that kind of stuff. But extremism um, and, and black, black extremism, not necessarily religious extreme, well, extremism. Well, it's just like the occult stuff, although going the. On. Uh, a little bit, not as much as in Resident Evil Four, say, but okay. Then, yeah, maybe not that much, but yeah, Resident Evil Four is like very obviously like yeah. <laughs> uh, dealing with religious occult type imagery, but Seven less so. I mean, I guess you could say there's like a cult like idolatry of Evelyn, but I think that's the closest. Oh no, no, get. sorry, sorry. I was thinking of Eight. I'm thinking of Eight, not Seven. Oh, okay. You're thinking of Village. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm talking about Seven. Right, um, right. That is basically the same storyline as the first Resident Evil game, right? So that's a good prototype for what a spiritual successor yeah, it is, actually. of the Arclay Mansion can be, right? Same, that was, Seven was clearly designed with the same principles, but with an entirely new biological threat, entirely new cast of characters, and entirely new visual presentation. The, yeah, the design of that game, you're right, is ex- almost exactly the same. Yeah, pretty much. You know, obviously the character archetypes are different, but the way you approach it in the story, but the way they slot in. Yeah. Yeah. The way they slot in is pretty much the same. So, yeah, that's really where I would ground my principles is in something like Resident Evil 7, which did faithfully, spiritually succeed what came before and stuff like the Arclay Mansion. Yeah. So basically revisit something like the Arclay Mansion and make the setting similar to that and evocative of that feeling without being the actual thing so that you could do new stuff with the storylines, have new twists and turns, but really ground it in the sense of atmosphere. Atmosphere is huge for Resident Evil, and I think it needs to be directed like an art house piece with slow, methodic pacing, lots of quiet, lots of quiet. quiet. Deafening silence. Yeah, deafening silence, but also lots of good use of music. Um, There needs to be save room themes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There needs to be... There needs to be a save room theme. Yeah, there needs to be moments of respite and with very strong use of music in order to orchestrate the audience's feelings as they're moving through this slow-paced crawl throughout this, as you described it, effectively haunted locale Yeah. as these team, as this team of competent survivor characters. Um, you know, maybe even if you want to go with like a star style type arrangement, you know, hyper competent characters. Yeah. People whose job it is. Yeah. Whose job it is to be good at extreme scenarios, but are facing something that they haven't faced before. So and that's where the horror comes in. That's where the terror right. comes in. But they still have training to ground themselves in. They can draw from something, but they have to adapt. Exactly. And that's where the survival elements come in. You see them adapting. You see the survival horror elements. And you can kind of see, if you've played the games, how you that kind of might reflect some of your experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it obviously, iconic cast of characters. Yeah, <laughs> you got just, that, that element that's always a, has to be there. Is, that's a it given. needs to be recognizable characters. And, um, and yeah, and I think it needs to be a strong mix of this atmosphere and this tension and these, this quietness. 
with moments of explosive outbursts of action um and especially towards the end when you get to the climactic countdown where everything is self-destructing because inevitably it has to self-destruct and in which case you take all of your hoarded resources right there needs to be set up and pay off mm-hmm. as well yeah with the resources hoarded resources throughout the whole thing that they get to the payoff and use in one big climactic escape where they fight a tyrant at the end. So right. that's my, there you go. There you go. For, and, and for a resident evil movie and, and to remain faithful to the games, uh, they have to have one item that's like, Oh yeah, we'll save this for a special day, but they never use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It goes in a chest at some point and never comes out. It never comes out again. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you're right. I think with this setup, there needs to be something in the narrative of, of the film that is like an area that is deemed safe for whatever reason, right? Like you can make up some, yes. some reasons like, okay, like n- the, for whatever reason they can go here and can be guaranteed safe. But there has to be a moment where they're being chased down or somebody is injured. And it's like, okay, we need to get from here to that place. Cause we know that is safe. That has to be a very clear narrative beat of just, yes, not only is this safe, it is safe. Even if it is not safe anywhere else. It's not just that nothing's happening right now. It's that going there is safety. Because I feel like there's a lot of stuff that people do with films where like there is a safe spot. And it's very clearly like, like this is supposed to be like a safe space. But what they how they get around that in the narrative of the film is just like, OK, it's just that every time they're here, there just doesn't happen to be anything going on. Right. Yeah. And it's like it's not that it's a safe spot. It's that you've associated being in this place with nothing happening. You have to make sure that it is clear that going here means safety, even if it is unsafe everywhere else. Exactly. It needs you to have be to have a designated be, safe spot yeah. where you it's not that. Yeah, you have it exactly right. It's not that nothing's happening while they're there. It's that this area is protected from all yes. the threats outside of it. For whatever reason. Yeah. You're darn right. That's a Resident Evil movie right there. That's a Resident <laughs> Evil movie. It has to have all those elements in basically here's again it writes itself (laughs) it it really does we just did that in one brainstorming sitting it's literally not even 10 minutes of work (laughs) judging by the timestamps. (laughs) i really don't i really don't know what they're i don't know what they're doing lauren i don't know what they're doing look how they massacred my boy Oh, man. I'm so sad. I'm sad. I'm depressed now. Let's end this I'm podcast. I'm sad for you. I'm sad for you. You know what? You should. You deserve some rest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all very much for listening to this Indeed. all over the place rant episode of the Hypercube podcast. This show is edited by Lauren Pacheco, mixed by Rafael Pacheco with theme music by Mono Memory. Until next time, we'll see you all later. God bless. See ya. See ya.